Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of the podcast series launched by the United Nations Department of Peace Operations. My name is Rania Degash, and I am the Chief of Policy and Best Practice Service. Together with colleagues from the field, I will take you on a journey through peacekeeping operations around the world to explore how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected them and the countries where they are deployed. I am very pleased to introduce today's guest, Deputy Special Representative for South Sudan, Mr. Song. Mr. Song has been serving as a Deputy Head of the United Nations Mission in South Sudan, what we call UNMIS for short, since June 2020. But before this appointment, Chief Song, as we know him, was the Director of Civil Affairs Division in the Mission and a Pillar of Knowledge. He has over 30 years of experience between the United Nations and the diplomatic service, including 18 years in field peacekeeping and political missions spanning Afghanistan, Lebanon, Sudan and South Sudan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rania, uh, for the introduction. DSRSG, we are delighted to have you here with us today and thank you so much for agreeing to join us. For our audience who is unfamiliar with the UN, could you describe to us your role in South Sudan and what the UN mission does there? AMIS uh, was established uh, soon after the independence of South Sudan. The initial mandate for us focused on the state building. After 2013 civil war, AMIS mandate has a special focus on protection of civilians. And this year, in March, the Security Council has given us the mandate to advance a three-year strategic vision, which includes four particular areas. One is to prevent a return to civil war. One is to build durable peace at national and subnational levels. One is to support an inclusive and accountable governance and also to support free, fair and peaceful elections in South Sudan. Now, let's look back at the past 18 months. What was the context like? What, how did the pandemic affect South Sudan at large and the areas where UNMIS is operating? The pandemic has impacts on all aspects of our operations in South Sudan, even with our very strong preventive measures Still 587 staff were tested positive and seven of our colleagues sadly lost their lives. And the mission has prioritized critical mandated tasks while many non-critical activities as well as some support operations have been postponed or delayed or undertaken in a different manner. Our military prioritized patrols to critical areas where lives are most at risk, while our ample scale back their operations at the protection of civilian uh, sites where they interacted daily with the IDPs. The incidence was high. For our substantive sections, they had to adopt their mode of delivery and establishing and supporting virtual methods of engagement. In this process, of course, some of the stakeholders might have been unintentionally marginalized because they don't have access to the virtual tools. And also on some sensitive issues like 
conflict-related sexual violence, you know, there, there is no substitute for face-to-face -face meetings. Even with all those challenges, uh, the teams in the mission have really accomplished a lot. What was the staff morale like as they had to adapt and shift, and yet at a personal level, they were all also impacted? The staff morale has really been affected by this uh, pandemic, a restriction of movements and restriction of visits to the local restaurants, social distancing, have all resulted in limiting the space for staff to socially interact uh, with each other. Restrictions on travels from mission to the home country you know, have also seriously disrupted the R&R travel plans for the staff. But the mission have adopted a series of measures to address the morale of the staff, including working, allowing staff to work uh, from remote and five extra days of special leave with full pay and regular town hall meetings by the SRG uh, to address concerns of the staff and also regular broadcast to keep staff fully informed of any updates. The staff counseling unit within the mission, they have prepared a psychosocial response plan and a critical incidence stress management during the COVID outbreak. A wide scope of counseling and the psychosocial support in interventions is offered to staff 24 hours, seven days. What the impact has been on the political engagement and dialogue, your the implementation of the agreements, the confidence and trust building among parties. How was that part of your work affected? COVID uh, came in the context of slow implementation of the revitalized peace agreements in South Sudan. And also we are facing the unprecedented flooding uh, for the third consecutive years and also the food insecurity. And in South Sudan, 7.3 million people need humanitarian assistance, not to mention about the economic hardship. And in this context, it has really exacerbated the already fragile and vulnerable situation across the country. I remember that when the first vice presidents and also the two vice presidents and also a number of the national ministers tested positive in May 2020, the meeting of the presidency and the council of the ministers had to be suspended for many months. The reconstitution of the transitional national legislative assembly was also stalled. While nine governors were finally appointed in May 2020, the power sharing arrangements at the state and local level among the parties to the peace agreements was postponed. The effects on the substantive sections like our political affairs and the civil affairs, you know, it has really been tremendously felt, you know, in our mission mandate. And the substantive sections, they had to prioritize their engagements at the national and local levels due to movements restriction and also this uh, COVID prevention uh, protocols. They have to adopt, as I mentioned earlier, their mode of delivery utilizing more virtual means, you know, like the series of the political parties forum. This is the virtual forum and uh, all they have to strictly following social distancing while organizing or conducting the dialogues or grassroots forums. 
And with these challenges, still, you know, PAD and CAD, you know, they have been able to organize more dialogues and forum this year, uh, the last budget year, than the previous budget years. And actually, you know, the, I can give one example, like in Jungling, you know, we organized one virtual dialogue uh, from the elders, the, the from Akobo, from Luno area, with uh, Dinka elders in Boar, with uh, Murli elders from Pibo, we link up our field offices and by inviting the elders to our office and to have this virtual dialogue interaction to build trust and confidence. You know, this is one of these, uh, the virtual example. DSRSG, let me ask you this. When you said we arranged these intercommunal dialogues uh, virtually, did they bring the leaders and the communities into the offices and then set it up and everyone was masked, etc., but it allowed the exchange to continue? So we used our conference sure. rooms? Okay. We invite them to our conference room and then link up uh, three conference rooms virtually. And then, you know, they, they can talk and we just facilitate. Right. And of course, making sure everyone was masked and safe, uh, etc. That's fascinating. And it actually amplifies what we hear in some other missions that in, in certain contexts, the virtual platforms that we shifted to also gave access to people that we don't normally reach and are able to engage, but it especially advantaged women from certain societies who couldn't always travel to meet us or we couldn't go out to meet them in, in some contexts. So a very interesting byproduct also of this uh, pandemic. You had mentioned the preventive measures that the mission took to make sure that UN personnel were not also vectors of COVID-19. But at the same time, we understand that in South Sudan, the security limitations uh, on movement were also imposed by the government and that affected your operation. What would you say was your biggest challenge regarding COVID-19 as related to your activities? The biggest challenge to us is really how to balance the safety of the staff uh, with the responsibility to carry out our mandate. While the mission has the implemented strong preventive measures, but still st staff are being tested positive and also staff are losing their lives, but we still have a very strong mandate to fulfill. That's why you know, the, we are carrying out those critical life-saving PUC mandates. And as I mentioned earlier, both our military ample substantive sections are really trying their best to deliver our mandate. I'll take us to another area that affected many operations across the world during COVID, which is mis- and disinformation. Now, due to COVID, we saw a rise in mis- and disinformation, and South Sudan was no exception. How did this impact your work, and did it affect the perceptions of the United Nations? In the context of South Sudan, the, at the initial stage, there was these attempts to target on the UN to link the importation virus uh, with the UN. The, like for AMIS, we have about 20,000 personnel from different countries and regions. But you know, the, the mission has adopted the communication strategy 
transparently informing the general public you know, about our ongoing mandated activities and how we are supporting the national local authorities to strengthen their capacity to address the pandemic with good results. And we have adopted numerous initiatives that have been widely reported. This include the decongestion of prison and the police detentions, in-kind donations of medical and hygiene equipments, rehabilitated the health care facilities, and also we, we are engaged in soap mask production. You know, the, so all these initiatives, they have been widely reported. It is very important to note that we have the radio Miraya, which has played a very critical role uh, in this uh, process. It has the largest reach of any broadcasters in South Sudan, with a, an estimated three to four million listeners. It's an invaluable tool that the mission utilizes to provide up-to-date information also for the public. The Miraya the reaches more than 76% of the population. And that's why, you know, the, it's also, you know, that provides this vital information concerning health and safety to the rural areas about COVID. Wow, that sounds fantastic. The, the fact that you were able to adapt all these mission tools like Mariah and, and its coverage as a radio um, platform is truly impressive. And, and uh, I must say um, also the local mask making was such a revelation how people shifted quickly to doing that. My favorite mask, for instance, is one that my mother commissioned the local tailor in our neighborhood to do and started distributing to all the houses around us. So I look forward to also seeing the ones from uh, from uh, South Sudan. Because you managed to adapt so well, uh, DSRSG, I was wondering if you had any lessons to share that other missions could replicate from how you've managed this situation. And also, if there were any pitfalls that you fell into that we should warn other missions about. There are a few areas. One is uh, the SRG taking the lead with the support of the dedicated technical working group comprising of the experts from medical, logistic, communication, and also uniform substantive staff. You know, these are the mission leadership taking the leading role with the support of the experts. It is one practice I think that we need to continue. Second, it is the regular communication with staff. And the SRG has been organizing nearly weekly uh, town hall meetings with the staff. And also we have been issuing regular broadcasts to keep staff informed of any developments. The third area, the importance to balance the staff safety and the responsibility to carry out the mandate, as I mentioned earlier, with the people-centered the and do no harm approach. You know, this is extremely uh, important. Then another area, it is important to direct resources to support the national and local authorities and communities in their ability to confront the COVID challenges. The bottom line to us is that the mission and the people of South Sudan are in the same boat and need to join hands to fight the pandemic together. Wow, a lot of pearls of wisdom from that um, DSRSG. Thank you very much. I especially like how you portray this, um, I see it, a picture of a boat with the mission and the people of South Sudan in the same boat. And that's really very clear. I was also struck by 
something you would think is quite simple, but doesn't always translate leaders exercising their leadership. This is such a critical point and leaning into their leadership in crisis contexts like this. So thank you for flagging that. Now, I should ask you if there were any recommendations um, basically for how we could have done better as a UN system, both in the field and in headquarters, because overall we address the COVID pandemic together. And for the first time in history, both headquarters and our missions were affected. Do you think we could have done anything better? And what do you think worked well in our collaboration? For AMIS, uh, because, you know, we had uh, this uh, Ebola planning. That's why it helped us a lot, you know, in terms of this, uh, the preparedness of the medical security and the contingency planning. And also we have been doing the exercise. Also the medical reserves for the critical supplies and the business continuity, you know, all those the shows the importance of preparedness. There are a few lessons that the, I think that all good practice, I think that we can highlight. The one is to clearly define the mission's priorities from the very beginning. Second, we need to streamline the decision-making so that, you know, to quickly react to the changing situation. The third is to coordinate closely with the governments at all levels. And then, of course, effective communication with the staff and also the national and local stakeholders are extremely important. Then we also have to prioritizing the welfare and morale of the staff, making sure staff are being taken care of by the organization. Then also I think that it's important for us to exchange the experiences with the other UN missions and also with the headquarters and so that you know we can do it better uh, next time. I can't thank you enough, DSRSG, for this very enlightening conversation. And in closing, I would like to ask you to look back in the past year and a half and tell us if you have any final thoughts. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rania, uh, for this uh, opportunity uh, to share our experiences and also lesson learned. It is a very challenging and uncertain environments where, you know, through concerted efforts, of both our uniform and civilian uh, personnel. The mission we have been able to carry out our critical mandates while keeping the level of COVID-19 cases, especially those uh, severe cases, uh, low among our personnel. It's not easy. We have also been able to provide the necessary support to the national and state authorities to advance their capacity to fight the pandemic and which has won the appreciation from the authorities and the communities from the grassroots. A friend in need is a friend indeed. I'm very happy and proud to be part of this process in South Sudan. I wish to thank our uniformed and civilian personnel for their dedication and their sacrifices during this very challenging period and hope that peace and security could be achieved in South Sudan sooner. And we would like to thank you, uh, DSRSG, for taking the time to meet with us today. Please stay safe and our very best to the rest of our colleagues in South Sudan. Thank you, thank you very much.